I'm Natasha Taylor and this is Open Classrooms, a new podcast series produced by the Academic Development Group in Science, Engineering and Health at RMIT. In each episode of Open Classrooms, we'll be talking to a member of staff who's trying out something new or interesting in their teaching. And so our guest for episode one is Jess Danaher and she joins us from the School of Science. Jess is a lecturer and early career development fellow in nutrition and currently RMIT's only accredited practicing dietitian. And she's here today to tell us all about the work she's doing to strengthen the blended learning approach in her courses. So welcome to the programme, Jess. Thanks for having me, Natasha. Very welcome. So let's start off by you telling us a bit about yourself and your role as a lecturer in the programme that you teach in. Yeah, so my role at RMIT is to coordinate two of um, two courses. I've got the undergraduate course, Food Toxicology, Allergens and Health, and I also run the course uh, Nutrition, Health and Disease, and that's offered to undergraduate and postgraduates. So here uh, with the internal cohorts, I run all the lectures and the Mm -hmm. tutorials for those courses, but I also teach both courses in Nanjing. So I'm off to China twice a year to teach them in burst mode over there. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, lots of fun. Sounds (laughs) exciting. How would you summarise your goals? Well, I really just want to run the courses to account for individual and diverse ways that the students learn. So Mm. I want to create these learning experiences that can encourage and motivate the students to achieve success. So I guess the overarching theme of of what I want my courses to represent is for the learning experience to be fun and flexible and personalised. So that's really embedded into all the changes I'm making throughout the next semester. And it's because of that I've signed up to the RMIT blended learning pilot because I wanted to create Mm -hmm. learning experiences that have a variety of strategies that meet the different needs of students and can really personalise learning. So one of the things I'm really excited to implement is a degree of ownership in the student learning experience. Okay, this sounds great, but this sounds very challenging, of course, because you've got quite a broad range of students within your programme. That's right, yeah. tell us a bit about some of the challenges that you think the students you have face. Well, traditionally, the course Food Toxicology, Allergens and Health, it really hasn't had much of an applied element to it. So it's followed this classic two-hour in-class lecture and one-hour tutorial model. And one of the major framework issues I identified was regarding assessments um, that the students had to submit. So before I inherited it, one of the major assessment items was for the students to go to a range of websites and just click on particular links and find information and then compile it and submit it. So it was basically this assessment task in who could copy and paste the best and I was not having any of it. So uh, what I really wanted to do was redesign the student space in that course and give the students more ownership in their learning. What underpins that is is getting students to be involved in learning that's more meaningful and more relevant to them. Mm-hmm. I had to really understand that the students or, or what's meaningful or relevant to the students may differ between the, the cohort that I've got. So the students undertaking food toxicology, allergens and health are Bachelor of Science students. Mm-hmm. And those students either major in food technology or they major in nutrition. Another challenge for those students, or at least um, the way I I presented that course to the students, was to tailor um, the content to the individual interest based on the different majors that they were undertaking and how they'll apply their learning content upon graduation. Considering all of that together, I realised that to develop graduates who are really ready for life and work, I really needed to reimagine how the assessments would work for that course. 
Great. So tell us more about that. How have you reimagined them and what sort of innovative ideas have you been testing out? Well, there are a couple of different things that I'm going to incorporate into semester one in 2019 for food toxicology, allergens and health. And that includes presenting the the previous lecture content that was done face to face. That's now shifted to this online pre-recorded mini module sort of model where students will listen or watch those in their own time. Each are about 10 to 15 minutes in length. But that means that I can run the previously timetabled lecture blocks more as a workshop. So that will involve discussions and a variety of activities Mm -hmm. and include really like a gamification element. The other thing I'm planning on doing is allowing for personalised assessment feedback. So getting the students to pre-select how they want me to give them their feedback, whether that's written Mm -hmm. or voice recorded, however they they want it, um, they'll uh, determine that prior to submitting their assessments. That's great because, of course, different students engage with feedback in different ways, exactly. don't they? And one of the challenges we have is providing a, a format that yeah. suits And, and something that they're going themselves. to yeah, engage in and, and read to, to make sure that their next assessment items are, are better. Mm. As I mentioned, one, one of the major framework issues I identified when inheriting this course was mm. regarding assessment. So one of the major things this semester that I'll be doing is letting students play a role, creating an assessment that they potentially think is more important for them to complete. Wow, I can I know that will be a terrifying idea for lots of people. So tell us a bit more about how it's actually going to practically work. Well, it will fall under the students' individual assessment items. They had that last year. It was worth 20% of the final mark. Mm-hmm. And in that model last year, I gave the students two topics or two um, topic options, and they were using guidelines provided by me, and they submitted a written assessment. And that that's still going to be an option for students that sure. want to undertake that. But for the students that feel like they've got a better idea or an idea that's more suitable to their ideal career pathway, then these guys have the option to forego the assessment that has topics and guidelines provided by me and instead co-design an alternative assessment with me instead. Mm. So what I'm going to get students to do is if they're deciding to go down that co-design route, then they will have to be given, um, giving me those details about what they're going to do by the end of week three. Okay. We have the submission, I think it's, I've got it planned week, end of week eight. But they're to pitch their ideas to me and, and to show that it meets the learning outcomes still sure. um, and it meets the broad requirements for the marking rubric. So they, they can be adjustable. Okay. But they have to show that it meets that. And really, they can do anything. So uh, they can do a literature review. Mm-hmm. They can do risk assessments on key topics or mock job applications in the field, anything that really ties in with industry needs and expectations. But during the semester, the previously t- timetable tutorial blocks, they'll be run as a time where students can work on those assessments. So they mm. have the idea to bounce ideas off me during that forum. Sure, sure. And so imagine lots of students, although they may find this a bit daunting to start with, will really flourish with that opportunity to complete assessments that they find both useful and engaging and authentic. So what do you see as the main benefits for those students as they come through your course? Well, in the end, I really hope that that option to co-design an assessment will give the students who are undertaking that option the sense of empowerment or ownership in their learning. So I really want the students to feel like they have an option, whether they complete the co-design or whether they choose not to. So I think that that teaching approach What it will do is empower students to guide their own learning experience based on their own career goals and their own career aspirations by giving them that opportunity to co-design their individual assessment task. That's Mm -hmm. worth about 20%. 
but it'll also challenge students to connect prior knowledge to new ideas, support like an inquiry-based learning approach mm-hmm. that I hope will assist them with their individual wonderings about different topics through independent investigation. But the other beauty of it is it allows flexibility for me as well. So mm. I can then adapt and modify my teaching strategies to suit the needs and interests of each individual student. Sure. It's got to be making the experience of marking more pleasurable as well. <laughs> and this is why I've kept it. I hope that the, the marking rubric is, is quite mm. broad. And what I've done is made it my marking rubric so they're generally applicable across different assessments and they broadly encompass key criteria regarding content and language and layout. Mm-hmm. So it might need to slight tinkering between the assignments. Sure, sure. I'm sure there's lots of people listening who are thinking, well, this sounds um, quite exciting and something I'd like to do. But immediately we start thinking about the risks and the challenges, the practical everyday challenges that we all face as teachers within universities. So talk to us a bit about the challenges that you've faced so far along the journey and, and how you've kind of dealt with them. It's more the planning side so far because we haven't implemented these changes. Mm. So my my greatest concern leading into it is that this course is directed at second year undergraduates. So this group might include some people who have worked in the industry and then they've come back to study, but also many others wouldn't have not have had that opportunity yet. So they might not know what alternative assessments might be appropriate for them and their Mm -hmm. career prospects. So I need to keep that in mind and, I guess, ensure um, risk management by standardising certain elements. So the co-design will still need to involve levelling aspects to uh, tailor for an individual development capacity. And this will really underpin the type of guidance I provide to each student as well um, and the scaffolding of conversations based on what they're going to achieve and what their assessment will look like. So I'll be asking these students or anyone that wants to undertake the co-design option to put their learning design on paper first Mm -hmm. because that will be the important first step to map out the plan and what they're going to achieve but also show that it meets those key learning outcomes no matter what their idea is. But I can still use those informal discussions during the tutorials and the workshops to discover their comprehension of the task that I'm setting and correct any misconceptions that arise during that time. And that's the beauty of moving the lecture content online. So I have that ability in class to to engage with students more. Quality conversation. Exactly. We know that that's what students really really often say they want. Presumably as the years go on and as you develop the ideas and, and the project itself, you will have examples of artefacts and models that students have actually designed for themselves. I'm hoping they actually give me some really good ideas about what a great assessment item would be. And, you know, that they're the ones going into the industry following these careers where what they want to get out of these courses. Absolutely. uh, I'm using them as a driver to, to know what they want to achieve mm. rather than me who's worked in the industry for you know about a year tops in addition to doing mm. my PhD and master's I don't necessarily know what they want to get out of you know Absolutely. their own individual career prospect and for me that's an important part of authentic assessment it always seems sad that students often work very hard on a, an assessment piece and then it gets seen by the marker and maybe another marker mm. but then no one else ever sees it or celebrates it. Or... So I would love them to create artefacts of work that they could then put in a portfolio at the end Brilliant. and take to a job and you know for, for an interview and say this is something that I created during my time at RMIT and it be you know something that they're really proud of. And because they've had that conversation with you um, in that process of negotiating the assessment piece, 
they will feel confident and they'll have the vocabulary to explain to an employer or an interviewer or whoever you know what the strengths and purposes of that piece were that's right they've already had that chance to uh, collaborate with you know another stakeholder on something that they'll be submitting which is a transferable skill to many jobs it is yeah (laughs) okay so one of the things I personally feel is very important when we're talking about teaching innovation and development to our teaching is the benefits for you Mm -hmm. um, as a member of staff and also perhaps for other members of your teaching team because you know work like this is very important yeah and it's um, important that we take the time to reflect on on what those benefits are as well as the challenges and the day-to-day issues so Mm -hmm. talk to us a bit about that well, as it's a new initiative for semester one, 2019, the benefits are largely to be determined. I still think it will meet my overarching goals of being fun and flexible <laughs> and personalised. Um, and I'll be writing some little reflection pieces throughout the experience to help me evaluate what does and what doesn't work. So then if I'm going to use this model again in 2020, um, I can I can rejig it depending on what's worked. There is a huge risk that it might be a, a big demand undertaking this co-design option. Sure. If a lot of students sign up, that the you know, it has the potential to be um, a lot of work that I'm signing up for. But I really actually don't imagine that many students will take it up. I think maybe 5%, 10% or so. And I think that if students are going to undertake this option and create an assignment with me before actually completing it, then that will generally be the higher performing students. I think that that collaborative role with myself can increase that student's sense of motivation, which is something then I get I get out of it. That's meaningful to me. Hopefully then that's also reflective to the things that are important to RMIT, such as GTS data and exam mm, data. Absolutely. And Even for those who don't take up that co-design option, if they decide not to pick that co-design and instead to pick one of the options I've provided the topics and the guidelines to, then I still hope that they feel that sense of empowerment and that ownership in their learning outcomes because still they have selected that option. They've had that option to undertake an assessment task that's been pre-prepared by me rather than co-designing their own. Sure, and it'd be interesting to see if you you do start to see elements of creativity even within those frameworks at the Mm. end of the day, you know, not necessarily restricting people's ability to express themselves. So even if students don't want to take that extra step, they may. And I've just um, another model for a different assignment last Mm. year, not not a full co-design, but a lot of creative freedom in in an assignment. And it was amazing even to see the oral presentations that they produced instead of getting up and just doing a standard oral presentation. Some groups did mock interviews where Mm -hmm. they thought they did an interview panel. Now, I never said to do that, but giving that creative freedom from the start means that they just go, oh, you know, we'll take another idea and run with it. And as long as the, the marking rubric is broad enough to encompass key criteria students should be able to do whatever you know creatively they want within that criteria great and and of course framing this within the blended learning project it means that we can be helping you and supporting the students to use technology or not it doesn't really matter that's right and already so far through um, the the blended learning pilot we've already been given um, heaps of different resources Mm -hmm. to different tools um, that we can use to, to better that learning experience for students that's great. I can't wait to see how uh, the project evolves and it would be really good uh, maybe to have you back and talk about how things are going in a year's time even. Thanks for joining us today, Jess. It's been great to have an insight into your teaching and thank you for opening up your classroom doors. I'm sure lots of people will be inspired by your creativity and enthusiasm. So anyone interested in following up with Jess can find her contact details on the podcast menu page.
That's right. Please feel free to contact me. And thank you for having me, Natasha. That's a pleasure. This has been Open Classrooms, Episode 1, recorded at RMIT University in Melbourne.